I got beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rice, pork, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, rat, you name it. Beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, lamb, rams, pork, dog, beans, greens, potatoes, tomatoes, chicken, turkeys, chicken, turkeys. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Thanks to Eve, Battleborn Injury Lawyers. The studios, Battleborn Broadcast Center is the spot. Thanksgiving Eve, Thanksgiving Eve, Thanksgiving Eve, Thanksgiving Eve. Ari is in the spirit. Sort of. Uh, he's back in our Finley Toyota studios. Willie is here. Justin Watkins is coming up in about 15 minutes. What's up, Willie? What's happening? What's happening? You know, Monday we were we were at uh, at the Peaks. And the little interest is Cofield and Kobe with Steve Cofield and Willie Rippin. And then today, Ari dropped the ball. I didn't get the... Yeah, we pretty much, we've been told uh, only I go in the intro. So oh. when Ari violates the rules, right? then uh, you guys get mentioned. God, I got it. Because yeah. it's company and you never know. It's kind of a mystery. As soon as the mics go on, it's like, who's here today? Is it Adam Hill? Is it Adam Candy? Is it Willie? It's always a special. Yes. I mean, it's always a special appearance. You never know. So it's kind of like the opening credits of a TV show. We know who... With special the, guest. At the end, right. Yeah, Florence sure. Henderson, uh, 364-1100, 364-1100, giveaway right now, caller six, caller six, caller six, we're hooking you up for the holidays, we got a lot of giveaways coming up during the holidays, uh, December 2nd, there's a great show, nearly sold out, 2nd and the 4th, I think they're playing both days at the Park MGM, it's Foo Fighters, Foo Fighters rock and roll show, caller six right now, 364-1100, 364-1100, you get a pair of tickets, and you are in, in just a couple of days to go see the Foo Fighters. It's Trending at 3, presented by Nova Home Loans. Call now at 877-700-NOVA. Oh, boy. Yesterday, another one of my uh, winning picks yep. in the 5 o'clock hour was talking about being on a little bit of a losing streak with my plays. I think I had lost six in a row. And I'm like, you know, UCLA will compete tonight against Gonzaga. Mick Cronin is pulling our legs, saying his team's not ready. They weren't ready. Oh, I bought into that 100% after watching the end of UCLA Bellarmine and watching covering. Really? Yeah, and and yeah, because he, I didn't think that he was hoodwinking anything. He just said that we have yet to perform like the number two team in the country. We he just sort of, I, as much as we know that he can be full of it. Sure. Um, from what I saw, first hand experience. From what I saw at that to that point. Or that night, and then just kind of reading and looking at the numbers, I didn't think that they were going to – I thought Gonzaga was going to come out and smack, as they did, the Bruins. 100%. They got out to a 29-8 to eight start. You can go through all the different starts, but it was a blowout from the get-go, and UCLA never really made a run, never no. really got back into it. No. So uh, and I, I, even- I was lucky enough that I – I had UCLA plus seven to start the game. And when it got to just a ridiculous level, I'm like, I guess I'll try to win some of this back. Did you I'll roll it? the dice? So I took UCLA plus 22 and a half. And oh. that wasn't, that wasn't easy. So you won. And, and, and ended up on 20. Yeah, I kind of came out well, a there, little bit ahead, but you know, I had a freaking well, double down on a bad bet in the first place. Cause I was wrong. UCLA was not at least last night in the same ballpark as Gonzaga. And you know what, going back to last year, if you think about it, UCLA did close strong, but much of their season, they kind of struggled to get there. They made a run through the NCAA tournament. I still think they're a top five team. They just, again, I'll say it for the 15th time, they were not ready. And on the other side, that was a show 
uh, put on by an experienced Gonzaga team. They've got guys waiting. Like Timmy's coming. Yeah, he was back. Yeah. Uh, Nebhardt's back. Yeah. Um, but Strother's a guy who would have played anywhere mm-hmm. the last couple of years to the tune of 20 plus minutes. And he's just been waiting his turn. And I, I remember asking you, because you're, you know, your buddies with his dad, Lee. Um, I remember asking you, I'm like, is he going to move on? Is he going to kind of stick this out? I mean, he's technically, I think he's a sophomore, right? Because last year no. didn't count. So he does have three years left if he wants them. No, that, no he was full-fledged freshman last year. Oh, he was. That okay. was his first so, year, yeah. So then, there you go. So he's a legit now, now sophomore. He's, now he's getting his time. Right. And that's and that was part of the um, the conversation that we had after the Central Michigan game. Um, I'd asked Mark Few, and then I had a one-on-one with Julian. But just asking Mark, you know, just in terms of the development. And that was the reason that Julian – went to Gonzaga was because of the development of players. It's very rare that Gonzaga turns the one and dones. Two and dones, yeah, but it's usually the development of players. You see the players coming out of their junior and senior year, and that was why they chose that place, and because it's a basketball-only university. There's no football team there, so it's focused on basketball. Uh, Mark Few has the good reputation of turning out the, the players the way that they were looking for, and I mean, you look at this seven foot freshman. I mean, I love college basketball and the fact that uh, most kid. people don't pay attention to most of what goes on during the year. They really turn to it in March. Yeah. And in the case of Chet Holmgren, anyone who followed college basketball knew that this guy was the, you know, highly coveted one or two recruit in the country. And I remember when people saw him in some highlights, they're like, Oh, there's no way he's gonna be able to compete. Cause what happened was Gonzaga gets pushed around. Mm-hmm last year by Baylor and it's like oh men against boys and Timmy kind of looks like a wimp and by, by the way uh, for Drew Timmy there's still a mission to be accomplished here oh, stop yeah. with the flexing all over the place because last year in the NCAA tournament you look like a, a little kid right yeah. they push him around sure but, but when people saw Timmy getting pushed around and Gonzaga getting pushed around they kind of lumped that on those who paid attention to Holmgren are like oh so they're adding a guy who's seven foot 190 pounds yeah watch him play watch what it's going to be like like I'm a big Miles Johnson fan uh, but he's a legit big at like 6'10 and 260 pounds. I mean, there was a move where he went up and he's like, oh, I'm just going to lay it up. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, stretch, you know, you have Chet Holmgren freaking block him and then go coast to coast and Line jam it. Yeah. I mean, he's <laughs> I remember he's, he's an amazing talent. Yeah, he weighs 190 pounds. But when he fills out and even before he fills out, he is going to be one of the mega stars of college basketball for, for this year. Well, and for those that see that, you look at Julian Strother and look what he looked like, his frame coming out of Liberty High School here in Las Vegas and what he looks like now. And that was one of the topics of conversation we had was that they wanted him to bulk up. And the big talk this summer was he was back and forth. So he came home, but he was in Spokane more than he was in Las Vegas, um, working on his skills, working on his nutrition, working on his strength training, getting bigger, putting muscle on because of where – Julian can play. Same thing's going to happen with Holmgren. This dude's just a freak of nature, though. And I remember talking to Lee saying, you know, this is this is Julian's coming out party. Corey Kispert's moved on. Now with the Wizards in the NBA, blah, blah, blah. He goes, dude, this kid's coming in. Is Forget about this. This Chet Holmgren is going to be the star. And I, you know, being obviously, as you mentioned, Lee and I go way back. We were there when each, all of our children were born. So I was like, you know, me, Brad, I'm saying, no, come on, Julie, this is Julian Gier. This is, he said, I'm telling you, hmm. Chet Holmgren is going to be the star of the team. This kid is unreal. Well, he's a, Julian's going to be, he's going to be a key component, uh-huh. but Chet's the real deal. So even Julian's father, you know, and if I may, uh, what a special moment for Julian the last two days. Um, 
having family, you know, we play, and, and, and at the top of my timeline on Twitter, I, they just moved the story on the wire just before the show started. But, you know, last week, last year he had seven minutes in the West Coast Conference Tournament. No fans allowed. His, his dad and sisters were able to travel here and there, see some games this season. They saw the Texas game. But to have them here at T-Mobile, sitting baseline, watching him perform, was, you know, in, in Julian's words, you'll see in my story, he says, it, it was, it's a dream come true to have your name now. You know, and they did they did the kid right. Chep Buchanan was calling it. You know, did him right. Called him last. Announced him last. Um, and a lot more than just family, friends. And to go out, be starting for the number one team in the nation. And then they win the title. And it was kind of cool if you watched the video, Steve. They allowed Timmy. They're all pointing to him. They let him hoist the trophy above his head. So that was kind of cool. Well, today's show will feature a conversation about more than just one hometown hero in Julian Strother. And by the way, Gonzaga and Duke go at it to close out the week. UCLA is back here on Saturday to take on UNLV. And on Saturday, one of the greatest products to play college basketball ever to come out of Las Vegas. Freddie Banks will be honored uh, in the afternoon during that that game. Jersey retired. So we roll on here on a Wednesday getting ready for Thanksgiving. Justin Watkins, Legal Insiders up in just a couple minutes. A little hockey talk later on with Brian Blessing and lots and lots of football breakdown on picks. Nova Home Loans brings you Trending at 3. It's a refi rate at Nova Home Loans. With interest rates at all-time lows, now's the time to talk to your local Nova loan officer. 877-700-NOVA. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to lay down the law. Only on Cofield and Company. Company. All right, fired up to be here. Paddleborn Broadcast Center. Willie is with us. Cofield. And the man. He's not the myth. The man, the legend, Justin Watkins. We were actually just talking football before we came back from break. Uh, it seems like everyone who went to whatever football university, if that's where you, you've landed, you got your schooling. There's some kind of rivalry game going on this weekend. Yeah. So let's all say it together. The Civil War. Yeah. Well, the we can, Civil we War. Can, we can still call it that. Ah, the, the, schools, be... the schools have asked us not to. So, like, you know, both schools jointly. Asked... Civil War. Yeah. Well, go. I mean, you're talking to somebody who grew up in it, right? So, I mean. So, Oregon, Oregon State. Oregon, Oregon State. I, th- I think. Which, tell everyone which side you're on. Well, I'm, a, I'm a beaver. Okay. Oregon Stater. All right. Yeah. Oregon State grad. I was When I was there, our coach, Jonathan Smith, was our quarterback. Um, and so, uh you know, I was there for the Fiesta Bowl season, the greatest season in Oregon State history. And uh, I'm predicting a, a double-digit victory for Oregon State. How long uh, have you been here? In Las, Las Vegas? Vegas? Yeah. I was born here. Oh, so you remember the Las Vegas Bowl that Oregon State came. They had six Las Vegans play in that, and it included Steven Jackson. Yep. But there were a slew of locals that a lot of people didn't know about richard siegler playing that lawrence turner from cheyenne there's yep. a lot of las vegas that played for the oregon state beavers they recruited heavy down here yeah well i mean yes i was at the game stephen jackson scored five touchdowns i think it was against new mexico um if memory serves me right and uh stephen jackson said publicly lots of times he wanted to go to unlv and they didn't offer him a scholarship That's right and so he went to oregon state That's and absolutely uh right. you know he was uh his freshman year he he didn't even start um uh, he was he was a backup because Ken Simonton, who is a, a legend, Oregon State, yeah. uh, was still there, uh, and he still broke tons of records in two and a half, you know, sort of seasons before he went pro. Um, you know, one of the greatest Beavers of all time. All right, plus six and a half, Oregon State. 
No, they're going to win by double digits. I'm saying. I, I, yeah. I, I, Tease I it the other way. I don't know if there's like a special prop where I can yeah. bet it minus 10. Yeah. Tease anyway, it the other way. So I've got, I've got plus the, money on that sucker. I've got the Beavers. Um, okay. Were you at the – did you watch the San Diego State UNLV game on when, Friday or you were there? I watched it. I okay. watched it. Yeah. Um, you were commenting on maybe the lack of aggression or the management at halftime, and then you brought up – you're talking about UNLV, and then you brought up Jonathan Smith and how he's kind of a riverboat gambler when it comes to fourth downs. Well, if you talk to him, he'd say, I mean, I've never talked to him in person, but I'm, I'm going to say, based on his interviews, he wouldn't say he's a gambler at all. He'd say he's always playing the odds mm -hmm. that, um, he, you know, they were talking about it last week and they were, yeah, fourth down and four from the goal line and he went for it and they scored a touchdown uh, and they were talking about how he goes for it a lot on fourth down and he responded and said, I go for it when the odds say to go for it. I'm never going to kick a field goal inside the five. I will always go for it on fourth down inside the five unless, you know, the score dictates otherwise. Right. Um, but generally speaking, in a game, he's going to go for it on fourth down. And he has, by far, gone forward on fourth down more than any other uh, coach in the Pac-12. Um, his success rate is right where the odds say it would be. You know, it's roughly 50%. Uh, and, uh, you know, Pac Oregon State's got the number one offense in the Pac-12. I wish they wouldn't have, you know, completely folded against uh colorado and um and california otherwise we'd be in the pac-12 championship game automatically uh, we still can get there if we beat oregon this week and uh and uw shows up and beats washington state but i don't i don't think the second part of that equation is going to happen and you thought it was a little frustrating with uh, marcus arroyo and the rebels that inside the 10 they uh they couldn't punch it in multiple times they settled for short field goals Yep. So, well, the the one that I, I mean, if that's your philosophy, okay, he, he sticks with it. But the one I didn't like, it was at the end of the first half. They got 50 something seconds left. They decide they're going to go for it on fourth down at the, you know, 50 yard line. I mean, at that point, I think you, you sort of play for the field goal. He calls a timeout to preserve the clock to decide to go for it on fourth down, misses it and leaves them 50 seconds for San Diego State to go down and score the touchdown. And my argument also in that was that they're very, wasn't it their very first possession? Mm -hmm. they, they kicked the opt for the field goal. Yep, they did. Yep. That was, I mean, it, right then and there, you, you go for it there. You got yeah. the whole rest of the game. And yeah. and what? You're two and eight. Yeah. What, are you, what, are you, what are you holding back for? I mean, come on. I mean, if, if, if you're going to have, a, if you're going to try to bring in recruits and you got a two and eight record, at least you could tell them like, hey, I'm on the cutting edge of thinking. I'm going for it. We're going to play aggressive. I mean, kids want to play for an aggressive style coach. You know, you know, three three runs in a cloud of dust. I know that's not what they do, but um, you know, this is this is sort of a throwback style of you know, you never take points off the board. You always, you know, when you can get points, you put them on the board. Well, you know, when teams are right, have the types of offense they do, and we have the data we do about going for it on fourth down and what situations. You know, I think you it's like playing the book in blackjack. You do what it might feel weird, but you do what the odds say. The book has changed, too. There's yep. recognition of the book. Justin Watkins here with us. So the NFL in St. Louis, is it finally over or not? It's done. It sounds like it's done. I mean, now, is it done done on who's paying exactly that 790 million that they settled for at mediation? It's never done until the 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 ink sort of dry on it. Just so you, you know, parties understand, like, when you go to mediation on a big case like this, and we got a settlement of seven hundred ninety million, you know, you're not reporting it out as settled unless you've got something written up and something signed. Although it may not be in its final form, there's kind of a 
for better or worse, a memorandum of understanding. But for 790 million, it's going to be a very detailed memorandum of understanding of what the terms of the ultimate settlement agreement are going to be, where the money's coming from, any ancillary issues are all going to be worked themselves out. Now, the NFL, Kroenke, and the other owners may not have worked out their part yet. I mean, there was a lot of chatter about, hey, Kroenke wasn't going to agree to his own indemnification provision to the other owners and wasn't going to pay whatever the jury or judge awarded in this case completely without, you know, voluntarily, he was going to fight it. Now, the question remains, did, you know, to get this thing done, did the NFL, did the other owners agree to throw in, you know, some of that $790 million to get it done? So they didn't have to release their financial records in a case that's open in St. Louis. Possibly. I don't know if we'll ever know that answer. So I want to talk about gun ownership. We had a case with an NFL player, Marshawn Lattimore, who got uh, pulled over. Actually, he was not driving. He was in the passenger seat. It turned out he had a gun. Um, legal. Right. Yep. I had, had a license, right? Concealed. And they ran it. There's a stolen gun. Yep. What sort of responsibility do you have, even from a, a gun store? You know, if you're buying a used gun, a pawn shop, do you have in making sure it's not a stolen gun? Isn't that on the seller? Yeah. You don't have any obligation as a, as a buyer. Now, if you have reason to know, you believe it to be, and you go through the deal anyway and just throw up your hands and say, well, I didn't know. That's that's a whole different story, right? You can't you can't launder the stolen aspect of a gun by working its way through a couple of purchases, all for the purpose of trying to clean the title of the gun. You can't do that. But uh, by all accounts, everything that Marshawn Lattimore did in this instance in purchasing the gun and obtaining his CCW license were all there. The funny part about the law in this instance is that there's a requirement when you hold a CCW in the state to immediately notify an officer that you are in possession of a gun. Um, that That's not the case in the state of Nevada. Um, I think that that is some, I would say, constitutionally vague as to what is immediate and under what circumstances is that triggered. Every time I walk by a police officer, by the way, I have a firearm, or is it only in a traffic stop or detainment uh, situation? Uh, the, the statute, as I read it, it does not go into that level of detail. Now, Marshawn Lattimore basically agreed to a plea deal. He's never been in trouble. By Why did he do that? Yeah, and this, I, by the way, this was in Cleveland, so this yeah. is Ohio law? Ohio law. So I don't know exactly why he did it, to be honest with you, other than to say this. Part of the plea deal is that he doesn't have – he goes on probation. He has a suspended six-month sentence. He goes on probation. He does not have to report to jail. And the only requirement of his probation is that he not get arrested. So there's no other requirements. So clearly the prosecutors are saying, hey, we're going to drop these charges, but we have to enforce this law, which I think is BS, the, the law. But we have to enforce this law. And so we're going to give you the easiest probation that you could possibly ever have, which is just don't get arrested for anything. And if you don't get arrested, we will agree to seal and expunge your record so it's like it never happened. So you just got to keep your nose clean for a year. Lattimore has never been in trouble with the law. Not once. He has no history of it. And so from his perspective, it was like, do I want to take a, a social justice stance and be a guinea pig here? Or can I or do I just take this deal and everything will be gone in a year? It was it will be off my record. It, it'll be expunged. It's like it never happened. And I'm sure. You know, his defense attorney just explained, here's the situation. We could be done with this. 
is there risk if we move forward and a jury wants to convict you on this charge of not notifying immediately and we go through a couple years of appeals about whether or not this is even a constitutional law or not or do you just want to be done with it i have, i have a question you, you you talked a little bit about nevada i remember the first gun i bought and i was 18 and back then you when you purchased a gun and there was a delay and then you had to go down to city hall and actually register it mm -hmm. and then you got your blue card mm -hmm. and if you went and then you did your course you did ccw and then as i once i got um a different gun and did my course and so on and so forth yeah but now when you buy a gun you don't have to go through that process there's no registration of anything um what why would they and and don't get me wrong i'm all for defending your you know in terms of you know right to bear arms mm -hmm. um but why would they sort of lighten that law when they did where you went when they stopped that what was the reason behind that i mean <laughs> You know the reason, right? Well, it's twofold, to be to be fair. It's twofold. One is they really increase the reporting requirements and the background checks of the dealers. So when you're dealing a firearm, they're already reporting and doing a background check on you. And they are, in essence, it's not a local registration, but they are, you're on the rolls as having bought that gun. They got you, <laughs> right? And and they've already done a background check. They've already cleared you. Uh, and the, the, the mindset behind changing the blue card law uh, and I remember those times too, you know, you go to, you go to your local, you could go also go to the local station, yep. local police station right. and get your, right. your blue card right there. Um, is that that's creating a hurdle for the law abiding citizens. The ones who are doing the wrongs with guns are not going to get their blue card are not registering their guns. We're not having a problem with registered gun owners. That's, you know, the issue is in the black market and unregistered guns. You know, we're, and I'm sure the statistics back this up that when you're tracing gun violence, you're not finding the registered owner is the one who committed gun violence. Right. Uh, you know, that's just not the case. And so you're creating this burden on the system, right? This is, this is a burden on our system, our law enforcement officers for something that's not producing results. I'm assuming that that is the logic behind switching off those blue laws. You know, I, I wasn't up there when those blue laws changed. They they changed before my time. Um, blue laws, blue card laws. Yeah. Um, and uh, so before you were a lawmaker. Yeah, exactly. And so, I, you know, if you came to me, I'll just say this. If you came to me and that was the data, and I'm pretty sure it is the data, that it's not registered gun owners who are committing violence with guns. And that if you went to the through the data, you would not find a register. You know, the percentage would be less than one percent. If that was the case and I had law enforcement saying this is a burden and uses up a lot of our resources and we can't have policemen on the street keeping us safe for something that ultimately at the end of the day is not making us any safer, I'd be receptive to that argument. Justin Watkins sticking around 5709000 as we're hanging out at the Battleborn Injury Lawyers uh, Studios on this Thanksgiving Eve. Coming up, we'll get into uh, what happened today in Georgia with the guilty verdict or verdicts handed down in the Ahmad Arbery case. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers, 702-570-9000, with your questions today. It's time for ESPN Las Vegas legal insider Justin Watkins to present the facts only on Cofield & Company. So the verts are in on the Amart Arbery case. Our legal insider Justin Watkins is here. We'll get to the Zach Stacey case 
in just a little bit, domestic violence, former NFL player. With Ahmaud Arbery, the uh, McMichaels were facing a bunch of different charges. Um, Travis was the one guy who got tagged with malice murder. Malice, mm-hmm. felony. What's the difference? Just I mean, felony murder is absolutely you, – you've it, it's committing murder in the act of a felony, uh, right? And the malice murder is – what I think a lot of people would identify as first degree murder. It was your intent to commit the murder and then you carried out the murder. Whereas felony murder was your intent to commit a felony and a murder occurred during the commission of that felony. So the two non shooters involved get the felony murder because they were wrong to attempt to stop and contribute to the, the wrongful detainment and beating physical aggression towards Amar Arbery. And so they're there they're, and the felon and the murder took place as, as a result. And so they got felony murder. The trigger puller got the murder charge. And so, um, you know, obviously the jury was convinced that they were not acting in the right. Uh, I'll just say from a pure legal perspective outside of the the cable news, social media reporting on this trial and the Rittenhouse trial, I'm not surprised by either verdict. I think I think that the evidence pointed us strongly towards both of these verdicts coming in the way they, they came in. What were your biggest concerns in the Rittenhouse trial? I don't know. Well, you know what? I mean, it, Ari it, it, was sent over a message earlier saying that the... Uh... The, you, the know, ju- you know, the judge, a lot of people... Not, had not a- the judge, but the, the prosecutor in this case was a buffoon. I don't know that I would put him in, into that category. I will say this. I mean, it was surprising for him to put on some of the witnesses and have the testimony come out the way it did. Prosecution witnesses were more favorable to the defense than they were to the prosecution. But if you didn't present those witnesses, you didn't have a case. Literally, if you didn't present those witnesses, you ha- your case would be dismissed. So the prosecutor did the best he could, I think, with the facts that he was given question I have is if you knew that those witnesses were going to testify in that manner and presumably you did presumably you talked to them beforehand and it's part of your investigation if you knew they were going to testify in that way I think the idea of bringing the charges against Rittenhouse in the first place were more political than legal because uh, like I said the second and third shootings are absolutely predicated on the first if the first was wrongful, the second and third were wrongful also because the second and third, when they were attending to apprehend him, were right in doing so because he was a murderer. But if the first shooting wasn't justified, or I'm sorry, was justified in self-defense, then the second and third were justified as well because they didn't have a right to chase him down and attempt to detain him. He had acted within his rights. And the only evidence we had on the first shooting from the witnesses from the prosecution were that the the person who w- was shot was threatening Rittenhouse, said he was going to come after him and get him, was acting aggressively and erratically. These are literally the words of the witnesses and then chased him down and grabbed towards the gun. And if that's the testimony that they got in their investigation, then I wonder why they they pressed charges now. If that's not the testimony they got in the investigation and the prosecutor didn't ask the same questions that they asked in the investigation in the exact same manner, well, then we got a problem. But I've never seen the investigation notes. We, 
you know, I don't know that the questions were asked very differently or not. That's the only time I could put this on the prosecutor is if they had better answers during the police investigation and questioning and he didn't ask the question the same way. Well, and then in that case or in that situation, it's, it's got to be very difficult when you're on the prosecution side because if you have the evidence in front of you and, and what looks like it's cut and dry, you're going to use that. You're going after it with that. But so is it tough for that prosecution to sort of step away from that and think like the defending the the the, the, the criminal defense attorney? Because at some point you have to think about how they're going to defend it, what they're going to come at you with. It went, it's, it's almost like... Some, I hate to do a weird analogy, but a sports bet that looks too good to be true. Mm. Most times it's not. So if you, if you have clear cut evidence on one side and they're, they, they're strong on defending their client, you got to start thinking like the defense. I mean, you should always think like the opposite side as a lawyer. I mean, that's, that's axiomatic. You, that's being a lawyer is you got to be prepared with what the other side's going to do and how they're going to the case and if you can't put yourself in their shoes then you've got a problem from the get-go i don't even know if that's what happened here to be honest with you because they're in the prosecutors the prosecution witnesses there was nothing that the defense asked that was mind-blowing that changed the testimony the test the damning testimony was in direct response to the prosecutor's questioning the most damning testimony and so and the prosecutor in that situation never said, do you remember being questioned by the police officers? Did you say this when they asked you this? He never impeached them, which leads me to believe that he had the same information that they were saying then. And I, I guess he thought he could either spin, spin it a different way or he's given marching orders, which is inappropriate, right? A prosecutor's job is not to get a conviction. That's not their job. Their job is to uphold the Constitution and ensure that they present all the evidence necessary for a jury or judge to decide the guilt or innocence of the accused. It is If they have evidence that they believe is exculpatory, they are not to move forward with prosecution. It's unlike the civil sense, right? In a, in a civil court, I may have some ideas that a jury may not agree with me, but there's a chance they may. Full steam ahead, right? I can work off of a 5% chance. I can work off a 1% chance. I can do that. It's okay. I don't believe it's appropriate. I'm not saying this is a 1% case. I'm not. But if a prosecutor believes they only have a 1% chance of a conviction, they should not be moving forward with the trial. Let's close on the uh, Zach Stacy case. So. Uh... Terrible video we saw last week, former NFL player uh, throwing around his lady into a TV, breaks the TV, then kind of power slams her through some sort of baby seat. Uh, they're in court. Um, Ari was concerned for everyone's safety in the court, you know, based on the violent actions of Zach Stacy. But also, how is bail set? Because the, the victim in this case, the alleged victim in this case, uh, wanted a much higher bail and says she fears for you know her safety and her kids. Every state's different. Some have a, a scorecard. There's a, uh, a movement in, across the nation to remove bail as a, as a justification for releasing people who are threats to society but happen to have money or, or justification for keeping people who are non-threatening in jail just because they don't have money. Um, so it's a, it's a broken system from the word get. 
Uh, Nevada's moving towards uh, a no sort of bail system, but a scorecard of potential risk. And you're either staying in because you're high risk or you're getting out because you're not until you get your trial. I will say this. I don't know the, the, the rules of the state uh, or where the state's case is, but I'm going to say this. If the bail was set in line with precedent for that state, then I think the judge did a good job because just because domestic violence is caught on tape does not mean it's worse than all the other domestic violence that they hear every day. And if you're shocked by what you see on tape and you think that that deserves a harsher sentence, then they all deserve harsher sentences because you shouldn't have to see a tape to believe that domestic violence occurs and that it's horrific. And so if their state is lax in bail and punishment for domestic violence, then they, they need to step it up. And if it took a video to get them there, then so be it. But it, being on video shouldn't make it any worse. It either is horrific or it's not. And punishment should align with that. Let's talk family harmony. Okay. Just need that. Let it breathe for a second. Uh, Thanksgiving, what are you doing? Staying home. Keeping it small. Who's uh, who's the cook? No, my wife's... Collective effort? Are you, uh, no, you pitching no, in? No, no, no. Nothing? No. I'm, I'm the breakfast guy. I cook breakfast. I'm I the cook. breakfast guy. That's it. I, I'm not. I, I'm not. I'm not the turkey maker. I, I follow rules. I follow instructions on Thanksgiving Day. If there is, can you get that out of here? Can you put this in there? Can you heat this up? Can you cool that? I you're, do those things. You're a helper. I'm a helper. I'm just. I'm a Sue at best. But now my oldest daughter's 11, so and she likes to cook. Here we go. So here we go. We got two cooks in. Get there. to work. Yep. Get to work. What do you got, Willie? I was just saying, true lawyer at home, too. Follows the rules, follows the law. This is what you do. This is it. Letter of the law, Constitution. Justin does this. That's right. Uh, America sounds like it's starting to hate turkeys. Are you jumping on board with this? Very. There's a very anti-turkey push out there now. I saw this great uh, gift that I almost sent around the office today when I we closed a little early today for Thanksgiving. We do every year. Hey, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. I put a little a gif in there that was, you know, turkey related but there were, when i was doing the search i saw one that said something like happy needless murdering of turkey stay oh, wow. all right <laughs> it was a friends it was got, phoebe got from friends was who oh. it was her quote um and uh so i thought that was funny but uh i don't would it, no turkeys uh i love turkey if I it's let me ask you this if it's not well a lot of people do and in addition to turkey what's your in and addition what is oh. your favorite and addition i know what oh, mine is you're talking about for the main for the entree honey ham you like i love that ham. but uh, on the sides no uh, no not the sides okay. no honey ham you're talking yeah. about this there's uh -huh. always a, a lot of people do a second meat yeah, yeah. ham Steve, what's yours you like a second meat i'm a ham guy i would go ham primary over turkey me too i like lamb okay I'm a lamb guy. That's I had some lamb yesterday. I forgot how good it was. I was just yeah. telling, uh, before uh, Justin popped on, I was telling him about the uh, trip up with UNLV football to Colorado Springs. So we're yeah. going to do Thanksgiving up there, and we're looking for a local restaurant. I want to get some local fare. So I want something from the mountains. Yeah. What do well, I get? Some elk, venison. Bison. Oh, yeah. well, bison. No, they got a lot of bison, like local bison right around there. Like oh, okay. legitimately, so, there are big herds of bison. Bison steak or bison burger? Oh, I would go. I mean, you can't fail with either. Bison's yeah. super good, and it's lean, and it's healthy. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, if they have the bison steak, most of the time they put it in bison burger and they throw that yeah, spicy jam in there with it, which is great. But if you can get a bison steak. That or if you if you get any one of the three, if you can get bison, elk or venison, yeah. and, and if you get the backstrap. Yeah. Give me the backstrap. What's up? 
So it's the muscles down the back, back. of the animal, right? right? And, and it's, it's going to be where it's the lean. It's the leanest. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. It's really lean. Yeah. It's really. I mean, you can you could ruin it really easily when you cook it, but if you cook it right, it's super good. Yeah, right. Um, you know, it, it's it's carnivorous Thanksgiving. If it's you, very much like a filet mignon. Even though the filet mignon's not there, the, that's on your you know tenderloin, but yeah. but it is like that kind of meat. It's that quality. I have some backstrap waiting for me at the studio in the freezer, apparently. Oh really? There is a one of the, one of the one of our brother station, sister station. Is there a politically correct word for that? Anyway, one of our <laughs> it has to be sister now. One of our uh, one of our other station uh, hosts gave me some wild boar. Okay, some ground wild boar, and I made a nice ragu with that. Yeah, oh, nice. nice sauce about a month ago. Uh, some meatballs and everything, and I had never had it. It, it. it tastes and smells just like pork. Yeah, like regular pork sausage, but fantastic and lean um so anyways but apparently i have some elk waiting for me the backstrap well, on the boar front if you can get yourself a boar shoulder or boar bacon and you taste the difference between natural boar and you know the chemical induced bacon that we ate with all all those nitrates in it you can yeah. taste the difference yep. it's fantastic I got some. I got some elk backstraps. If you're if you're in the market, you just have to make your way out to Sohai, and you'll get. Right, we've talked about this for like five, five years, years now. About uh, like uh, as if I live that I'll far be out away. There. I go to the uh, Raiders facility uh, <laughs> twice, three times a week. I will. I will be over. There you go. Don't right. don't, don't tempt me. Have a good holiday. Make sure you call Battleborn Injury Lawyers five seven zero nine thousand. We'll see you, Justin. All right. Happy Thanksgiving. Call Battleborn Injury Lawyers seven zero two five seven zero nine thousand with your questions today. Nick Saban was the first to point it out after the Arkansas game. Defensively, they allowed Arkansas 10 of 19 combined on third and fourth down. They made mistakes offensively as well, as good as they were. And I'm telling you, they were good offensively, right? That was a good win against the top 25 Arkansas team. But at the same time, there are questions. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Yeah, it wasn't a good win. Arkansas is a mediocre team. Uh, they should have taken care of them, and that's why I now have Alabama at number six in the Cofield playoff ranking. So they can win their way back in, take care of the business against Auburn, the- and beat Georgia. If they beat Georgia, they're in the Final Four. If they lose to Georgia and they lose, especially big, Brian Blessing's here with us. Brian, do they have to win the game at Bama to get in the CFP? Uh, I think if Bama-Georgia, right? That's what you're talking about? Yeah, Bama-Georgia. I'm saying that they have yeah, to Yeah, I, I think if it's a close game, Bama by a fingernail hangs in there. I think if Georgia, I don't know what the number would be, you know, 14 points I, or higher, I think Bama could be toast. Wait a minute. I thought that isn't there already a – wasn't there already a – No, there's a number if, out there. there it's, it's, not, it's Georgia's four and a half. Yeah, I was going to say, it's not, it's not that big. Yeah. No, but no, Bama's four – yeah, Georgia's a four-and-a-half point favorite. I'm just saying oh, 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 with, oh, with, okay. the, with the ranking system, if Georgia smokes them in the SEC title game, uh, then maybe somebody could sneak in. Notre Dame's going to probably beat Stanford. No way you can put Notre Dame past Cincinnati. Not only did they beat them, they beat them at South Bend. And then you got the Big Ten teams who are going to cannibalize each other and no guarantee that Ohio State or Michigan wins the Big Ten title game, although it's likely. Now, Brian, you and I had a conversation last week about the Cincinnati Bearcats playing SMU. And I mm-hmm. told you that I was, and by the end of the conversation, I had swung you to the Bearcats in that they have to perform in order to jump up into those rankings. They have to go above and beyond. If you remember, you swung me to the under. 
right? Because no, we, no, we, no, 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 no. You, you made it. No, I, I, you, you, I, no, you I were all over. Circus, you were over Cincy, you know, but I said it was correlated to the under. Oh well, you know. I you you had also said I think you, you're bringing me over to Cincy side. But here's my here's my question. They're laying two touchdowns at a very good East Carolina team, or a, a, mm-hmm. you know a, a respectable East Carolina team. But I think that again, they have to show up because if Michigan beats Ohio State, I would not shock me if Ohio State does not drop all the way out and bump Cincinnati if Cincinnati just gets by East Carolina. I I can't see them doing this to them this late. The the one thing that's scary is if Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, the winner of that game wins the next one. Specifically, Oklahoma State. If they beat Ohio, Oklahoma and beat Baylor, there's a chance Oklahoma State would accrue enough points. They would actually swoop by Notre Dame, and they would be the main danger to Cincinnati. But I will tell you, in this game, Willie, there's anvils on their shoulders going into this game. I mean, there is so much pressure. East Carolina is pretty good. They I are. mean, I, I can see I can see Cincy winning this game, but. I think I think the pressure is going to be a big deal in this game. I think I'd be taking the points, to be honest with you. So we got to swing you again. I like Cincinnati. I'm, I just think at this point, look, I mean, okay. I mean, we see the Pac-12's phony, but look at Oregon. I mean, Oregon, hey, Oregon's back. Hey, congratulations, Utah just scored again. Well, here's the thing. Cincinnati's covered 8 of 11 with against ECU. They've won 8 of 11 this year by 14 points or more, and it beat Notre Dame in South Bend by 11. Yeah, and it's averaging not. it's averaging 40 points per game. I think that Cincinnati is so focused. The only thing that's going to keep Cincinnati out of the race are the voters. I, I'm rooting for them, but I, I, the pressure is a thing to me here. Listen, and the only I mean, rankings that matter in the CFP are the Coalfield or CPF Coalfield playoff rankings. Right. And he has them number one. I have number two. I actually dropped them. I moved Ohio State up to number one since he's two. Oh, I'm leaving. Georgia's three. Anytime so Ohio State. The SEC got penalized for playing the, uh, the, ex- the exhibition I'm games. I'm out of here. Yeah, no, don't even get me going, guys. I mean, you, you listen. <laughs> Not the no, 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 Notre Dame. Look, Notre Dame survived against Florida State. Uh, the play calling at the end of that game when he got to overtime, the quarterback came off the bench. He had all the men in the world, and the idiot coach runs the ball, and they lose in overtime. Then Toledo, and I'm listening to the game on the radio, going, don't score, don't score. They scored too fast. Notre Dame went down and scored. Toledo should have beat them. Uh, their schedule, on paper, it looks good, but the teams they played this year, please, God, tell me we're not watching Notre Dame be a 17-point dog in the Final Four again. Brian but it's Notre Dame. It's Notre Dame and it's dollars. Brian, what are we doing with the Bills and the Saints on uh, Thanksgiving 6? Well, I honestly, Steve, I lay it. And <laughs> and, I, and I'm, I'm dead, dead serious. I mean, went nowhere near them last week against Indy. Here's the thing. The Bills, all those years of ineptness, they thrive on the big stage. Uh, the only time they stubbed their toe was Allen slipping on the quarterback sneak at Tennessee. They've been mauling people on primetime TV. Don't forget what they did to the Cowboys on Thanksgiving Day a couple years ago. The Bills just scored again. I mean, and the game last week, it's amazing how everybody is so off their bandwagon in New England, this and New England, that. Good for New England. Belichick may be coach of the year. But all these teams that are the flavor of the month, they end up driving off a cliff. And that's like that kind of season. Taylor destroyed them last week. Starla Tuolay, their nose tackle, who's the run stuffer, and Tremaine Edmonds, who's the 
guy that tackles after Latuale blows up the line. Neither of them played in that game. If Vito Vey doesn't play the nose tackle for Tampa against India on Sunday, they'll do the same thing to Tampa Bay. The Bills have the number one defense in the league. They got blasted one game. New Orleans, Kamara, Ingram, injured, not practicing today. Who knows if they're even playing? And the Bills have a stone in their shoe. Everybody's off the bandwagon. And then they got New England. I'm telling you, my sincere hope, New England this, New England that, that the Bills take them to the woodshed the next couple of games going, wait a minute, it was your time for 15 years. It's our time for a decade. But everybody's off the Bills bandwagon. He's fired up. Uh, I am fired up. Turkey sandwiches and the Bills. That's great. Uh, what are we doing with Golden Knights even against the Predators? Ooh, um, I don't. I'm, I got no opinion. Nashville is just such a hard team, such a hard team to figure out. I, mean, I enjoy watching the Golden Knights games now. I mean, I'm watching them to see Lasician and Ronberg and Cotter and seeing how the kids get to play before everybody comes back. I don't know, Willie. Any word, Patcheretti tonight? Patcheretti's off the injured reserve list officially. It was a game-time decision, but in the fact that he's officially off and that he's been skating and they brought him on the trip for just two games, I would think that he he skates tonight. I agree with you that it's a tough call, but and I agree with you that it's kind of fun to watch the Golden Knights play like right, right now because you're seeing a lot of hungry kids. All right. I mean, you want, a, you want a hockey play tonight? Boston's at Buffalo. Aaron Dell's playing for the Sabres. He couldn't stop a basketball right now. The Rangers' and first visit. The total is only five and a half. By the way, did you hear this, that the Islanders apparently requested to the league that they wanted to postpone this game tonight to, you know, grab hold of their COVID situation? Well, nice idea. You can't do it the day of the game with all the fans on the way to the game. I thought that they were, I thought that they were, uh, they wanted to postpone it until they could get Steve Garp in the house. Well, he's still there, isn't he? Oh, is he? I don't know. He he, he went to the he opening night. He goes back and forth, that dude. He's, he's everywhere. Here's the problem. Here's the thing. U.S. Open regularly. He's at Islanders games. Listen, yeah, I can't make it to Boulder City. These guys are traveling all over the country. Listen, the Islanders is a team you want no part of when you get to the playoffs because Barry Trotz in Vegas knows his firsthand after the Caps in the final because he can make the adjustments when he plays you every other night. But you can play yourself out of the playoffs in October, and basically they've done that. The new arena is going to cost them. Not, I, I don't see how they come back, Willie. I don't see them making the playoffs. And that's a team that could be real dangerous in the postseason. I don't think they're making the playoffs. Brian, what's on the docket for Thanksgiving? Uh, well, I don't need trip the fan in the morning because I've got the Chicago-Detroit game. Then I'll have the turkey. And then the turkey sandwiches for the Bills game. No, it's a total bloat. I mean, recliner, football. Nice. And then Friday will be over at the Superbook. And then... A nice weekend of football. What a great weekend of football. Thanksgiving's my favorite day. It's all about me. Christmas is great. <laughs> Christmas Christmas is about the kids, you know, little kids. Yep. Thanksgiving's like, nah, you know, more, more food, please. Extra mayo on that turkey sandwich, please. And then are, are you in the recliner like Al Bundy with the button, the top button undone oh, and the hand in the waistband? Yeah, no, it's more like the, the Life of Brian thing where if I have the mint, I'll explode at around 1030 at night. <laughs> All right, Brian. Hey, we appreciate it. Have a good holiday. We uh, love that you joined us today. Thank you so much. Happy Thanksgiving, guys. There he is. Brian Blessing coming up. Caleb Herring in about 15 minutes. We'll get to football frenzy and answer the question, can Harbaugh finally get it done against Ohio State? Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas.